Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey there, we're back. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. It's just me and Jenna again today. You're stuck listening to just the two of us. Hopefully we're not boring you to sleep at this point. <laughs> but we're answering your questions. We are. A little we, give and take, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, you know, reach out on Instagram and ask for some questions that you guys might have. So we're just going to pick a few of them that we haven't really talked about before or that sound interesting to us and that we can answer without, I mean... We know these are ones that we can answer right? yeah. <laughs> without needing a special guest to yeah. answer. We can't speak part. to all the animals in the zoo, obviously. We don't work with everything. Um, but some of these questions are kind of generalized that I ask about just zoo life in general. Some of them are kind of about specific animals that we happen to work with. So we're kind of going to pick and choose those. Sorry, we know we got a lot of uh, question submissions, but we can't answer all of them. So we're going to touch on some of them here. Yeah, and then we can do more again at some yeah. other point. I always enjoy the Q&A. Yeah, episode. I think These it's are fun. fun for me. I hope the guests enjoy them, too. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Okay, do you yeah. want to start? You want to ask me first? Yeah. Okay. So, one of our questions we got was, what is the most common food that we feed to a lot of our animals? Obviously, dieti- dietitian, we have a dietary specialist on staff, and there's a ton of food that moves through the zoo. We have very various animals that need, you know, special diets, carnivores, herbivores, omnivores. We have... The whole gamut. So what's the most common food probably? I think just in bulk, it would easily be hay, right? So, you know, we bring in hundreds of thousands of pounds of hay because each bale is typically low end, like high 30s, high end. We have three string alfalfa, which is like the third cut of the year. It's really, really high quality Mm -hmm. alfalfa. Those bales, I swear they're like 100 pounds. At least 75 pounds. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to move them. So... There's, and we go through what, one and a half of those a day at giraffe alone. Yeah. So between the giraffe, the rhinos, the, all the antelope we take care of, the hippos, the elephants, you know, I would say hay is probably the largest amount of one specific item that we use. But then of course, when you add in all the carnivores, there's a lot of ground beef and meat products mm-hmm. too. But I think the number one would have to be hay. I think so too. Cause if, especially if you think about in terms of just the volume of food that these animals intake. Carnivores just don't need to eat as frequently, right? right? Our lions get one or two meals a day, whereas our giraffes are eating all, all day long. long, basically. Same with the elephants. Like, I mean, I don't know how much hay they go through a day up at Elephant House, but right. it's got to be a bunch. <laughs> so it's generalized. There are different types of hay, but hay in general. And probably Timothy hay would be the number one, Yeah, I think. That's what the elephants get, Timothy. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, all the rhinos are animals in the children's zoo. You know, the cows. We don't have any cows, Mark. We don't have any cows anymore. (laughs) Back in the day, we used to have cows. (laughs) I'm thinking of my childhood, you know, children's zoo. Taking me back here. Uh, You know, the llamas. Yeah. The goats. goats. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. So, there is a lot of hay going around the zoo. That's a good question. I like that one, yeah. I like that one. Do you have anything for me? Um, yes. Okay. Are any of the animals allowed on habitat at night, especially if they're nocturnal? That's a great question. So that's actually a question like I'll have friends and family ask me sometimes. They're curious about how we handle the animals while we're not here or during those overnight periods. And we try as much as possible to give our animals free choice, right? Choice is huge for our animals in uh, human care here at the zoo. We try and let them kind of decide what they would like to do. So 
as temp for our department specifically in Africa, you know, ours is kind of temperature dependent. So as we get warmer nights during the summertime, we're able to give a lot of our animals access. So we call what we consider the term access means they have access to their outdoor habitat and access to their indoor habitat. So they can choose where they'd like to be. So for us, you know, our lions, our painted dogs, our hippos, all of those animals are going to have access to the outdoor exhibit overnight. We still do have animals that unfortunately can't for one reason or another have access overnight. You know, thinking of like the meerkats, for instance, you know, we have owls all over this zoo. We have aerial predators that could easily pick off a little meerkat. So just for their own safety, they stay inside overnight. Um, but I know a lot of other departments through the zoo also allow some of their animals to have access overnight. So it is kind of a case-by-case -case basis. Um, like I said, unfortunately, the setup doesn't allow for every single animal to have access overnight. But we try and give as many as possible. Yeah, and then there are some that, for example, the birds on our savanna habitat, they stay out almost all summer long unless yep. there's going to be like horrible winds or some really bad weather. Rather than making them come in and out, they just stay out so it's easier for them um, and they seem to enjoy it. Whereas, you know, our antelope species like our impala and our cooter are a little bit spookier and we don't want them, you know, to have to worry and we bring them in. We can also kind of monitor what they're eating more and that sort of thing. But yeah, a lot of animals get to be outside. Yeah. And it's interesting to see which ones choose to be in and out. Usually the lions are outside when we come in the mornings if they have access. Yeah. Uh, the painted dogs are usually inside, though. Yep. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. I picked the lines. Now that we're kind of getting into the wintertime a little bit, into the fall, it's changing. But during summertime, I feel like the lions are spending the vast, vast majority of their time outside, even overnight. Whereas, like you said, yeah, the painted dogs... Even overnight, even if it's a beautiful night outside, they're going to spend, they got our comfy beds that we yeah. give them inside. They got big <laughs> straw beds and wood shaving beds and they'll cuddle up into a cuddle pile like I'm sure you've seen on exhibit too, but they love sleeping inside. Yeah, and I feel like the hippos are hit or miss. They like, it maybe it depends on what time we come in the morning. They're probably outside more often, but if we're like running 10 minutes behind, they're ready for breakfast and they're in there waiting for mm -hmm. us, but... Um, and then, and this is something that zoos are doing more and more. So it wasn't something that we were doing 10 years ago necessarily with lions because we were just trying to be safe and like, what if someone comes and does something really irresponsible overnight or, but mm -hmm. we have security and we have people here 24 seven. So, you know, sometimes we've mentioned before, there's some risks in this job yeah. and, um, some decisions. And we think that giving these animals access is definitely yeah. the, the best thing for them. And you possible. kind of weigh those risks, right? Like maybe, you know, there is a 0.001% chance that someone does come in and do irresponsible, something irresponsible in the lion exhibit. But like, are we willing to let the lion's welfare suffer for that 0.001% chance that something like that could happen? Right. Yeah. You kind of weigh those benefits and risks as they come. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And then we watch the weather. So, of course, if there is mm -hmm. something, a tornado watch or something, we bring animals in for the night. But, yeah, so most animals, or I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the animals have an opportunity yeah. to be outside overnight. Uh, so <laughs> there's another question that I want to hear your answer. I think people have heard my answer plenty of times. What's the animal you're most afraid of? So I don't have, like, this inherent fear. Growing up, I was terrified of sharks because... One of my friends, older sisters, forced me to watch the opening scene of Jaws. Oh, that'll do And it. I was six years old, <laughs> and I was I wouldn't, didn't want to go to the bathroom because any source of water, including the toilet, scared me. Um, now, of course, I've mentioned many times. I've never heard that story <laughs> oh my before. Gosh. That's hilarious. I can I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it was awful. 
But um, now I respect them, and I think they're amazing, and I know most animals don't want to hurt humans. It's mm. like, you have to do something dumb or encroach on their space. And anyways, but birds, I do feel like sometimes they're not as trustworthy or I don't know birds would be I'm not afraid of them but they're the ones that I maybe like more hesitant around or I'm always going to keep an eye on them they can be unpredictable sometimes yeah yeah, yeah but I understand it's that. not like I'm like oh ostrich are very scary it's yeah. just uh yeah so what is there an yeah. animal that you're afraid of I mean I do think like there is some sort of balance where, like, there is a healthy fear of some of these animals, right? Oh, yeah. We are supposed to have a little bit of a fear and respect for our lions and our hippos and our painted... Like, these are animals that could potentially do life-threatening damage if the situation were to take a turn or, you know, if we were to do something, not follow protocol or not follow procedure or something like that. So I do think there's, like, a healthy fear to have for some of those animals. Not that I... I don't come in and I'm not afraid of John and Imani right, or lions, yes. right? But there's a healthy fear and respect of just course. to have for those yes. animals. But, like, an animal that we don't have anymore at the zoo, he's passed away since, but, like, I was, like, deathly afraid of. When I started in the Night Hunters exhibit, we had a fossa. His name was Willie, and he was just the most savage, aggressive oh, animal, no! and I was just terrified <laughs> of him during feeding time. Um... We would kind of like slide these uh, like mice or whatever he was getting that day, a quail, some Nebraska meat, whatever it happened to be, we'd kind of slide it under the door. And like during feeding time, he knew exactly what time of day it was. And you would see it's like something from a horror movie or something. His paws would be sticking under the door <laughs> trying to reach out oh for my it. Gosh. Yeah, he was, he loved feeding time. It was kind of terrifying for me though. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of an animal that you're just a little nervous with or whatever. And I, and again, there's obviously this respectful fear, or you respect yeah. the danger that an animal can present. But Definitely. like, like I don't see a spider and scream, or like yeah. you know that sort of fear is what I guess I was thinking of. But um, <laughs> way back when we had this baby camel, and he was he made me a little scared. I guess like he just had no boundaries and he would run into you and run all over the place and you'd be next to the giant adult camels and feel safer than next to this little camel. But, um, so just yeah, I didn't guess, know how to use his weight. Like, just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It wasn't like he was like trying necessarily. I don't know. Maybe he was, but he was very unpredictable and I was a little nervous to go in with him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a fossa, what are they? 20 pounds? How much do they weigh? Yeah. Like 25 or 30 okay. pounds. Yeah. But so we're not talking it's, like this exactly. is not lying. This isn't that big of an animal, but like just his temperament, his demeanor, he was yeah, so not afraid of camel. you at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That, yeah. Maybe that's the issue. When the animals yeah. aren't afraid of you, yeah. it makes it more difficult. Definitely. Uh, okay. All right, we've got one for you here, Jenna. This is a hippo question. Okay. Um, we always get hippo <laughs> questions, you know, <laughs> with our princess Fiona here. How old are all of our hippos? BB is 23. She will be turning 24 in February of 2023. Tucker turned 19 in May. Uh, Fiona will be 6 in January of 2023, so a little over five and a half. That's hard to believe she's about to be 6. Right? That's insane. And uh, little Fritz, he'll be 3 months old on November 3rd, so next week. So he's almost 3 months old. Just crazy. I know. Time's flying by. 293 pounds today. No Mr. way. Fritz. For Fritz? Yes. Jeez, old Pete. Yes. Boy's getting big. 
Well, this is a good question that we get asked a lot. Um, there's actually, yeah, there's another one that kind of goes with it. So the original question is, do we have any advice for high schoolers looking into working in a zoo in the future? And another similar question was, I'm studying to be a veterinarian, hopefully at a zoo. Any tips for job searching? Um, I mean, you started off really young in the zoo world. Do you want to like give advice on yeah. how you got started or what you did? Yeah, definitely. So I would say definitely... I mean, it's not always a luxury that everyone can afford because, you know, some people don't exactly have an idea of what they want to do until they get a little bit older. For me personally, I think I was a little bit of an anomaly because I knew when I was in grade school that I wanted to work with animals and I wanted to work in a zoo. So I was able to get interested when I was really young. And when I started uh, high school as a freshman in high school, I began the volunteering program here at the Cincinnati Zoo. And I volunteered summers all through high school. Which is awesome and lucky too in the sense that you had a zoo nearby with this type of program. So not everyone Definitely. will have that starting in high school but look it up if you have a zoo nearby definitely yeah try and get interested and try and get involved with volunteering as soon as possible like almost every single job that you start well not even considered a job because you're unpaid but in the zoo field you pretty much have to start unpaid at some point um so start volunteering start kind of getting your foot in the door and building some relationships definitely would be my first advice and i don't think i know anyone who's ever become a full-time zookeeper that doesn't didn't volunteer or at least become an intern. Intern, yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, but outside of that, my biggest advice would be don't turn any opportunity down. Oh, that's so good. So, like, advice. you may not think that you want to work in a certain section of the zoo or you might not think you want to do education because there's a a keeper job's not open, so you have to get your foot in the door in the education department or to work your way into a keeper position. Or if you are in a keeper position, you might think, I don't want to take the job in... I don't know. I'm scared of reptiles. I don't want to take a reptile right. position. If a reptile's position opens, you should try it. Try it out. Like, don't say no to anything. Be open-minded and give everything a try. I know that worked for me because, like, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I really thought I wanted to be a carnivore keeper oh, growing yes. up. I was obsessed with big cats. I was like, I only want to work carnivores and that's it. And then uh, a position had opened up in Wildlife Canyon back in the day and I was lucky enough to get interview for it and get offered and to be honest, when I said yes to the job, I wasn't even that excited for it because oh I was gosh. like, I know, I know, I know. In hindsight, I'm like, what was wrong with me? But, but I wasn't even that excited, but I was going to take it because it was a job, right? right? A paid job. So I took it, but I totally fell in love with it and was like, it changed my complete outlook on what I wanted to do and the animals that I wanted to work with because I loved it so much. So I would say take any opportunity you can get. Don't say no to anything. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of opportunities in Wildlife Canyon... I mean, that's pretty much why I'm still here. I had a full-time job at a fancy dog pet spa resort thing with benefits, and I left it for a two-week temporary position in Wildlife Canyon. And it turned out to be longer than two yeah. weeks, but that's all they could promise me. So definitely talk about taking advice, a risk. Right? <laughs> yes, but it worked out, obviously. But um, we mentioned internships and volunteering. So in college, I knew I wanted to work with animals, but I really wasn't all that familiar with the like the career of zookeeping. I think it might be a little more popular now and like social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I did a few different internships with different animal type positions. Um, and then volunteered while working in the education department, volunteered with animal departments and just took every seasonal and temporary job I could get. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something where you have to put in the work 
And unfortunately, sometimes it's free work and it's mm-hmm. weekends and you work during the week or on the night during the night and, you know, volunteer during the day. As far as the veterinary stuff goes, obviously going to school, but I know they do, you know, internships or externships and you would want to try and get one at a zoo, of course, or work with reptiles or large mammals such as cows and horses. I don't, obviously I didn't go that path and I'm sure it's very, very difficult. Like, if you think there are a few, or we think there are a few zookeeper jobs, there's usually only one, if you're lucky. Some small zoos just have like a on-call vet that helps yeah. out, but one to three vets usually depending on the size of the zoo. Um, so it's definitely difficult, but we wish you luck and definitely try and, even if you volunteer as like with the keeper staff while in school, I have no idea how you could accomplish yeah. all of that, but, um, or just getting to know people, reaching out, coming to the zoo on the weekends, talking to keepers or volunteers as you see them just out and about is actually sometimes the the way to get in. Networking mm-hmm. is good in life in general. So. Definitely. Yeah. Another one I would say is being open to travel. Like it's mm-hmm. something that I was lucky enough in my career to avoid, but I think most keepers here at some point have taken a job away from home or yeah. this Cincinnati Zoo is their job away from home. Right. You know what I mean? Like they've moved to come here for a position or they had to move away and gain some experience at another zoo. Being open to travel is definitely one as well. Yeah, definitely. If you're willing to move, that's very, very helpful at your chances. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, Jenna, I got another hippo related question for you. Okay. Question. Hippo tusks grow so long. Do they ever, do the tusks ever hurt the hippos or poke through the roof of the hippo's mouth? Uh, So that's a good question, and I wish I could show you all a video or a photo (laughs) as we speak. But, so just like humans, some hippo teeth are, the word straight isn't correct, but they are more, they're placed correctly compared to others. Um, BBs are, knock on wood, essentially perfect. So hers are, fit together like scissors as they open and close, they self-sharpen, and they actually have pockets. If you lift up their cheeks, you can see like these pockets where the teeth fit, and it's doesn't hurt them. It doesn't poke them. It's like built into their gums. It's yeah. hard to describe without a photo. Yeah. Right, yeah. I wish I could, maybe we can share one sometime. But, um, so as long as their teeth are growing straight or as they should, they don't have any issues. Um, some of you might've seen pictures of, uh, Tucker and his teeth, um, are pretty, they're good, but he does have his front two just, they're ever growing. So sometimes they stick out of their mouth and I don't know, it doesn't seem to like affect him or or hurt him in any way, but it could um, be more difficult to pick things up if they get too long, that sort of thing. So in the wild, there's a good chance if they got really long, they could break off during a sparring, like a fighting match. Um, Here at the zoo, we have the ability to train and work with them. So um, there is a tooth in Tucker's mouth that is kind of... um, curved and eventually it has like years and years and years and inches and inches to grow but it could curl towards the roof of his mouth so um, we're still working on him getting comfortable with certain types of training and and all of that but that is one of our goals we'll be able to kind of file that down if necessary Um, so it's a possibility for their their teeth to poke the roof of their mouth but it's more likely that the tooth is growing incorrectly. If they're fitting together as they should, then they absolutely have all the right, like, nooks and crannies <laughs> for those teeth. Yeah. But Tucker's Tucker's doing great, and um, I know I mentioned this before, but he does have one broken tusk, and it's above the gum line by several inches, and so he does not feel any pain. And again, hippos' tusks are there for protection, so they're used for fighting, and oftentimes um, they'll break. So... As long as it's above the gum line, it doesn't cause them any pain. And how long do their tusks get? 
Oh, it depends on the animal, of course. Mm -hmm. The male's tusks get longer, and I think they can be, like, you know, over a foot, but... You're putting me on the spot. I actually yeah. don't know, like, the, the longest. Do you know? Not off okay. the top of my head. Yeah, no. I want to say maybe no. maybe 18 inches would be, like, Yeah. I mean, Tucker's biggest. are, I would guess, 12 to 15 inches, somewhere so? in there. I think his are a little bit over a foot. Okay, I'll measure yeah. them. Measure we'll them. Yeah. <laughs> we'll update you. We'll get yeah. back. <laughs> um, okay, let's do one last question. What do you think is the most underrated animal? the most underrated animal at our zoo. So I have like a very biased answer to this question because it's one of the animals that I love the most <laughs> here at the zoo and she doesn't get enough spotlight. But Icky, our saddle-billed stork, she's one of our birds that's out on our savanna habitat. Our savanna does have a lot of things going on. You know, there's a couple different hoofstock species out there. There's almost a dozen different bird species out there. So it's easy to, to walk past there and you see an ostrich and you see a vulture and you see an impala and you never even saw a stork, right? It's, it's easy and especially because there's some nooks and crannies where the animals can kind of hide and get away in there. But Icky, our saddle-billed stork, she's the sweetest bird I've ever worked with. She's a pure walking angel. <laughs> Mark doesn't like her at all. No, no, not at all. She's very, very sweet and people friendly. If people could see her out with us, especially in the mornings, they would definitely fall in love with yeah. her. Yeah. She's got so much personality. She just loves interacting with keeper staff. She dances around for us. And she, like, as you kind of pick up hay or whatever and put it in the wheelbarrow, she'll take she the hay out. out. <laughs> and she plays with it and she throws it around up in the air. She kind of plays fetch and stuff sometimes. She'll take a stick out and, like, toss it and then go chase it. Or if we toss yeah. it, she'll chase it. Or pick up, like, the big pieces of ostrich poop I've seen her like pull Play out. with like, that, yeah. <laughs> I just picked that up, but thank you. I hope you're having fun. <laughs> She's got a lot of personality that I don't think a lot of people it would contribute to birds typically. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh yes. And it would be hard to see without a human out there mm -hmm. to like watch the interaction. Definitely. Yeah. She's a lot of fun. Definitely. But I will say our zoo in general we do have a lot of kind of nooks and crannies just around the zoo that people might miss or an animal or a species that they might miss as they're going through the zoo that are hidden gems, right? Like one of those for me are the aardwolves over uh, in Night Hunters. So, very cool animals. Yeah, the aardwolves, they're members of the hyena family. They're just termites. They're insectivores. Yeah, they that's just the termites. most interesting thing to me yeah. about them is they are hyenas, but they're insectivores. Just insectivores, You kind of yeah. think of hyenas as pretty savage, but these... Guys yeah, aren't. exactly. Like hyenas are typically really aggressive. You kind of t keep your distance from them. Ardwolves are very timid. They keep their distance from you. They're nocturnal, so you wouldn't even see them during the day if you're out in the wild. Um, like I said, they're going to pretty much just eat termites, and that's it in the wild. Here at the zoo, one of their favorite treats is they really like hard-boiled egg, actually. Oh. Super cute watching them lick up an entire hard-boiled egg. It's adorable. <laughs> and we're the only zoo in the country that has them, right? I believe so. I know... Back when I was in Night Hunters, we were one of two zoos, oh, okay. and I know San Diego had them at the time. Okay, so I maybe I can't they do. speak to if San Diego still does, but regardless, there's only one, maybe two zoos in the country where you can see them. So okay. we're lucky right here to have them. They're a hidden gem yeah. for sure. I think something that people might miss are that I think are underrated are our leaf cutter ants. Oh, so great you one. can go into the insect uh, world, the insect building, and they have tubes that go across like almost half or more of the insect house and um, you can watch them in these clear tubes carry their leaves back and they're all going back and forth. They're just super, if you learn about them, we need to have an episode on them. Yeah. We've talked about that before. But 
They are super impressive. They are very, very fun to watch, very interesting, and easy to miss, I feel like, if you're... Yeah. I think people avoid the insect... The insect house. I was going to say, the insect house has a bad rep, and I think people will avoid it. necessarily calling it a bad thing. But, you know, where the insects live... Yes. (laughs) ...here at the zoo is fantastic. The leaf cutter ants are my dad's favorite. They're my mom! What do I mean? He'll spend hours just watching the leaf cutter ants. It's crazy. (laughs) Yes. Um, Awesome. Well, for the sake of time today, we're going to wrap it up, but I have one more question. Yeah, what's up? Do you have a what can I do? I do have a what can I do. So this one is uh, contributed by my fiance. Shout Shout out out to Sam. yeah. Yeah, shout out to Sam for this one. But she is a huge advocate for avoiding fast fashion. You know so much about this say, topic, Jenna, don't you? I'm hoping you can help me out with this topic because you probably know a lot more than I do. But when it comes to fast fashion, uh, the way kind of Sam talks about it, like there will be plenty of stores and shops where you can get items, but they're really cheaply made. They're not going to last you long, but it's a good way to get a quick outfit if you need a quick outfit, right? If you're going out one night, you buy an outfit for one night and you may never even wear it again, or the material might not even hold up. In general, that's just not a very like an eco-friendly way to live, right? It's not sustainable. You're using something once, all the materials and water that went into making that item and textiles and all that kind of stuff. Um, Sam's a big advocate for if you're going to go out and buy a clothing item, just buy something of a little higher quality that's actually going to last and you'll be able to use multiple times and you're not just going to wear it once and pitch it or throw it away, whatever. But I give props to Sam because I'm definitely guilty of this. It's mostly like, oh, I'm going to save money, but I also want a cute outfit. But then you want a new one each time. And that's something that we definitely, me or people in general, like we can wear the same outfit more than once. You can get high quality items like you mentioned yeah. and like a jacket or something to like throw over it and make it different. And it's okay if we are seen in the same thing twice. But that's <laughs> definitely, fast fashion is very popular right now or maybe has been for quite a while but the fact of that people are noticing it and that it is an issue and it's causing pollution i mean these things that get worn a few times and then i mean hopefully they're being given to someplace like a thrift shop or something that others can buy from but if they aren't lasting or they're getting holes and you just throw them away yeah you're just like contributing to the landfill yeah obviously the items contributing to the landfill but also the process and the pollution that it took to make that item right like the factories where these items are made aren't aren't helping anything either. That's a good one. I mean, Christmas will be here before we know it. So no fast fashion for Christmas is going to be a goal for me. No fast fashion. Yeah. I like that. We should have Sam on here to talk about that more with us. We should. I, I, I think that's definitely kind of like just a cultural stigma that girls tend to face that guys don't like girls are expected quote unquote to not wear the same thing twice, which is insane to me. And like, so out of I don't know, out of left field. But, like, as a guy, it's easy for me. I've been wearing the same clothes since college. <laughs> Basically, no one said a word to me about it. Maybe they just see me in the side and they're like, oh, I've seen that guy wearing the same outfit. What's wrong with him? <laughs> no, it shouldn't matter at all. Uh, um, well, that's a good one. Yes, I, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So I'm glad Sam brought it up. Yeah. But, okay, cool. That was fun. Uh, we like doing those. So hopefully we'll do them again if everybody else likes them, too. Yeah, definitely. The Q&A episodes are always fun, for yeah. sure. And um, I think that's it for today. So thanks for listening, everyone, and have a fantastic week. Yeah, thanks for the question, guys. Take care.